0: Good morning. Let's pray together. Father, to you be all glory. In wisdom, you created the world, the universe. In wisdom, you have called us to your Son, not through any wisdom of man, but through your own wisdom You are the fountainhead of wisdom, and as we begin this look at the book of Proverbs, I pray that you would create in us a desire to know and to live wisely. And Father, I I just pray that as we look to your word right now, that you would speak to us, let us be attentive to you, and eager to put your word into action in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. I want you to picture this scene. It was a a cold, rainy night in early March. Tina and I, with our kids, were at a church conference, and when the conference ended, um, eight or so at night, we were driving to a hotel that we had not been to before in in a town that we were unfamiliar with. We were driving on the interstate in the rain and uh, we were looking for the exit ramp that would take us to this hotel. Kind of looking between the wipers, looking through the rain, and all of a sudden there was the exit sign. And in a split second, I decided we could make it so instinctively i touched the brake and turned my steering wheel and we went into a skid it was a terrible feeling we um, what, what happened lasted maybe five seconds but it seemed to go on forever we were out of control i corrected for the skid but the back end of the car came around and skidded the other way twice more that correction, that overcorrection, correction and, and another skid. And all the while, the exit ramp was bending, and we were getting closer to the edge. Finally, we were sideways, and I heard the thump of a reflector post that let me know that we were right on the edge, and thankfully, the car stopped at that point. It is... A terrible and helpless feeling to be out of control. It may last just a short time, but it seems to go on forever. And afterwards, you realize just how close to disaster you were. and You also realize how much your being out of control is going to cost you. You ever experienced it? Being out of control, it doesn't just happen in cars, it happens all the time. We can be out of control with our finances, getting caught up in an endless cycle of charging uh, purchases and making payments. We can get out of control with regard to temptation. We fight it off, but we feel ourselves weakening, losing our resolve and fearing that we will lose control over the situation. We find ourselves struggling with being in control, sometimes with our anger. Things build up and all of a sudden something pushes us over the edge and we realize we are out of control and we unleash an avalanche. It is a terrible and helpless feeling to be out of control. But the book of Proverbs tells us in practical ways how to avoid losing control over those situations in our lives. And it does it by repeatedly steering us back to God and calling us to bring all things under his lordship in our lives. The Apostle Paul understood this when he wrote to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians chapter 10 verse 5 and said We take every thought captive to obey Christ. We bring it all under His Lordship. The book of Proverbs tells us in practical terms how we can take every thought captive to Christ by gaining godly wisdom. And so for the next few messages, what I want to do is explore the book of Proverbs with you and uh, look at some very practical ways in which we can... Bring these things under Christ's lordship. Let me set the stage really briefly by describing what Proverbs are, what Proverbs aren't, and what Proverbs are intended to do for us. A proverb is a special type of literature. It is different from biblical narrative. It is different from biblical poetry. It is different from biblical prophecy. It is different from gospel. Uh, It sort of stands alone as wisdom literature. And it's not hard to tell apart from other forms of literature. Typically, a proverb has four characteristics. First, it's brief. It's very brief. Let's just take, for instance, a, a non-biblical proverb that I think is probably going to be familiar to all of us. In fact, if I start it, you can finish it. You ready? Like father, like son. Uh, very simple. Four words. It could fill a book, right? That that concept. It's probably filled a lot of books. But it comes down to four very simple words. And because of that, it's memorable. Um, Proverbs rarely get beyond 25 words. Once they're beyond 25 words, they start looking like parables instead. Um, but Proverbs try to express maximum wisdom with minimum number of words. And that makes it very easy to hang on to. The second it's concrete. Uh, like father, like son, very concrete. You picture a man, you picture his son. It's a very concrete sort of image. Proverbs arise out of human experience. And so they're, they're fresh, they're colorful, they're easy to recall. And those that aren't concrete just don't stick around very long. So they're short, they're concrete. Uh, a proverb conveys a general truth. It's the third characteristic, like father, like son. It's generally true. Is it true all the time? Well, no. But it generally holds true. Fathers and sons generally have similarities, right? Uh, they may look alike. Their physical resemblance may be similar. They may have similar temperament. Uh, they may have similar behaviors. So it generally holds true. But we all probably know people who thankfully are nothing like their father. Uh, what, when a son is, is not like his father, does it make the proverb Wrong. No, no, Proverbs are generalizations drawn from experience, and they're bound to have exceptions. But most of the time, they ring true, and they ring true often enough that sometimes the exception proves the rule, right? When you see a kid acting very differently from his father, you say, what? Whose kid is this, right? Because like father, like son, generally holds. Fourth characteristic is a proverb can be applied in a number of situations, a number of different situations. And so, take that little non biblical proverb, like father, like son, that applies to other relationships as well that, that have similarities to the family relationship of a parent and a child. So we might say, like coach, like athlete, uh, like pastor, like congregation. Um, Like teacher, like pupil. And so those things uh, are applications of that same proverb. Like father, like son says something true of each of those. So a proverb is a short statement that expresses a general truth through a specific example. Let me tell you a couple of things a proverb is not. First of all, a proverb is not a commandment. It's not a commandment. They're not absolute laws. They do have exceptions. So, take for instance Proverbs chapter twenty-six verses four and five. It says this: "Answer not a fool according to his folly, lest you be like him yourself." Answer a fool according to his folly, lest he be wise in his own eyes. Go wait a minute. Didn't he just tell you not to answer? Now he's telling you to do it. Uh, what do we do with that? Well, if both are to be applied 100% of the time, we've got a problem with the reliability of Scripture, right? But if we're wise, we'll recognize Solomon knew what he was doing in juxtaposing those two things. He, he didn't realize, yeah, I mean, he, he realized he was putting them next to one another. And the idea that he gets across is, is to be gotten across through the both of them together. It kind of gets across the idea that, that some fools we answer. Other fools, we don't. And generally, you can't win with a fool. It just kind of goes that way. So a proverb is not a commandment. It's also not a promise. Does God unconditionally guarantee the performance of every proverb? No, because a proverb is not a promise. One of the proverbs that is most often claimed as a promise is chapter 22, verse 6, right? Train a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not turn from it. It's not a promise. It's generally true, but it's not a promise. It's a proverb. And that one proverb has caused a lot of parents grief when their kids become young adults and and start going a different direction. And the parent says, I must have really blown it as a parent. I'm a failure as a parent. No, not necessarily. You're Your son, your daughter may still come around when they're a bit older, when they've gained a bit more maturity. They may come back to the things that you have been instilling in them all along. They're not old yet. Then again, they may not because a proverb is not a promise. The other side of the coin with that one is trying to make the proverb say something it really isn't saying so that it'll prove true all the time. I saw someone take 22.6 and uh, translate it this way, train a child according to his bent, according to his natural leanings. But that just empties the proverb of all meaning. And so a proverb we need to recognize is not a promise. Proverbs are general guidelines that help us have successful and productive lives. So a proverb is a short statement, that expresses a general truth through a specific example, and it isn't a commandment or a promise. Over the next few weeks, what we're going to do is we're going to look at some vignettes through the book of Proverbs that show us how to bring different aspects of our lives under the lordship of Christ as we take every thought captive to obey Christ. And so we're going to look at wisdom for the eyes, Wisdom for the ears, wisdom for the tongue, wisdom for our homes, and wisdom for our relationships. That's the plan. The first thing, though, that we need to do is to come to grips with a basic distinction that runs all the way through the book of Proverbs. It is the distinction between the wise man and the fool. We're going to focus today on chapter 1, verses 1 through 7, which was just read for us. And we're going to find that Solomon's heart is to have people choose wisdom. And that, in essence, is the purpose of the book, to get us to choose wisdom. So we're going to look at the first six verses now and and see how Solomon gets across several things he has in mind that he wants to help us gain as we understand Proverbs. And the first we find in verse 2, uh, Proverbs will help us gain perspective. It'll help us gain perspective. It says, "...to know wisdom and instruction." That word instruction in other translations is rendered discipline. And uh, the Hebrew word implies discipline or correction. So it's not just instruction in terms of gaining knowledge, understanding facts, but in terms of steering our lives. Um, And so uh, think about a time when you were being disciplined in your own life. Did you like it? Was it a good time? Uh, Probably not. But did you gain from it? That's the question. We gain from those things. The author of Hebrews tells us in chapter 12 verse 11 that all discipline is painful at the moment, but in time will yield the peaceful fruit of righteousness in our lives. It shapes us as we come under godly discipline. And wisdom and discipline are often coupled in Proverbs. We get... God's perspective on life through those things. And so Proverbs helps us gain perspective. Another thing that it helps us to gain is common sense. When I was in college, I worked on a farm one summer, and the farm manager had it in his mind that college kids had a lot of book learning, but not a lick of common sense. And he tried every day to prove that through me. And so he would set me up with situations and say, get this done and not give me a clue of how to do it. And when I would falter, he would go, college kids, you got all this book learning, but you got not a lick of common sense. You know? um, and so Proverbs can help us gain insight. Verse 2, to understand words of insight. In other words, to be able to see into things. Uh, to, to gain an aha moment to gain some common sense. It's intended to get us beyond surface appearances in order to grasp what's really going on. Someone once said the average person has five senses, uh, sight, smell, taste, touch, and hearing. And the above average person has two more, horse and common. And uh, the book of Proverbs helps us gain on those latter two, horse sense and common sense. Uh, Verse three gives us another thing that Proverbs can help us gain, and that is godliness. Uh, To receive instruction in wise dealing, in righteousness, justice, and equity. Uh, What we're talking about here is an overall lifestyle. Application of common sense. Actually living out what we know to be true. It's possible to know a lot of things and not be wise, isn't it? It's possible to know a lot of theology and be devoid of the fruit of the Spirit, isn't it? We need to live out our faith, and Proverbs can help us do that. It'll help us gain godliness. A fourth thing that it can help us to do is to gain the ability to set out plans, planning ability Verse 4, to give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth. Uh, What we're talking about here is the ability to project plans, to be purposeful, to know where you're going and why and how to get there. Planning ability. A fifth thing is to recognize truth. Um verse 5, let the wise hear and increase in learning. This idea of increasing in learning is is increasing in our ability to recognize the truth. Where do we find truth? There is wisdom in looking at the source of truth. It helps us to live under God's authority. Uh, A sixth thing that Proverbs can help us gain is guidance, verse 5 as well to give guidance. We all encounter crossroads moments in our lives, and we recognize that which road we take at that moment is going to end us up in a very different place than if we'd taken the other road. Crossroads moments. Uh, One of those in my life was where to go to college. We lived in Colorado. I almost went to Colorado State. Uh, Instead, I went to Wheaton College. I met my wife at Wheaton College. What if I'd gone to Colorado State? I wouldn't have met her, right? I mean, some of these crossroads moments, we we recognize that which road we take is going to get us to a very different destination. Uh, Another uh, one of those crossroads moments for me uh, was uh, trying to figure out who I wanted to invite on this journey through life with me. I dated a number of young ladies, and, and I uh, invited Tina to share that journey with me. I'm, I'm so very glad I did. Uh, these crossroads moments in life. What job do you say yes to, uh, knowing that your, your career direction is going to be a very different place if you say yes to a different job? So Proverbs helps us gain guidance by allowing us to be immersed in godly wisdom. We recognize and know the will of God. One last one that Proverbs can help us to gain is understanding. Verse 6, to understand Proverbs, parables, words of wisdom, riddles. So as we expose ourselves to wisdom literature, we come to understand how to unlock it. We understand how a proverb works. We understand parables, and words of wisdom. So there they are. Solomon's telling us in these first six verses what he wants us to get out of his book. Perspective, common sense, godliness, planning, truth, guidance, and understanding. In other words, God's word isn't about facts to be learned, but truth to be lived. And Proverbs will help us live it out. So Solomon states these seven purposes for his book, but what's important is what those things point to. All seven of those purposes have to do with gaining wisdom in our life. Take a look at verse 7 now. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction or discipline. So Solomon, in verse 7, reaffirms that the fear of the Lord is the foundation of all of this. We want to bring all of our life under the lordship of Christ. And in verse 7, he also introduces a different character. He introduces to us the fool. As we look at the book of Proverbs, we're going to see that people move toward either wisdom or folly every day of our lives through countless small choices that we make. Every day we choose wisdom or folly. Every day we choose to be the wise man or the fool. Today, what we're going to do is we're going to look at how this plays out in the lives of four people that we either are or are becoming. We either are or are becoming one of four people. And they show us a path that we all end up walking governed by these choices we make on a daily basis. And the first person we want to look at is described by a single word, and that word is simple. Take a look at verse 4. To give prudence to the simple. The simple. It's a fairly neutral term. It means one who is inexperienced. In fact, That is how the the CSB, the Christian Standard Bible, translates it all the way through Proverbs. Inexperienced. Simple. Inexperienced. And so, if someone is inexperienced, he's going to be easily led. Uh, Gullible, naive, immature, irresponsible at times, sometimes even aimless. The simple person doesn't know what he doesn't know. It's not a bad person. It's a person who could certainly gain wisdom, but he, hasn't just, he just hasn't thought much about it. He's not thinking long range yet. He's not thinking about consequences. He's just kind of bumping along through life, enjoying it as it comes day by day. You know anybody like that? Just kind of bumping along through life, not thinking very much about consequences, not thinking very much about the future. It's where we all start out. If you were to do a little word search, pull up Blue Letter Bible on on your computer and uh, type in simple if you're using the ESV, Uh, if you're using the CSB, uh, type in inexperienced, take a look at the places where this word shows up and you're likely to conclude after all of that, yep, that was me back when. That describes me pretty well back in the day. I I know it described me back in the day, and I'm so very thankful that God spared me some of the consequences of the dumb things I did back then. Maybe uh, you'd look at those things and say, yep, that's me now. It's where we all start out, and we're vulnerable there there are people that we will see in the book of Proverbs who prey upon the simple, the inexperienced. In chapter 1, verse 10, we find that the simple are vulnerable to bad actors who want to pull them in. In chapter 7, verse 7, we find that the simple, the inexperienced, are vulnerable to seduction. And the reason is the simple just don't know to stay away from dangers like those. They haven't experienced those things before, and so they're likely to fall for things that look good in the moment. That's why there is so much emphasis in the book of Proverbs on respecting and listening to our elders. These are people who have experienced some of the things that we're facing and who have learned how to spot the dangers. And so we can spare ourselves a lot of misery if we will listen to the people who are further down the road than we are. One of the things I try to impress upon young couples that I marry is the need to find a mentor couple. Why? Because when they run into challenges, they can talk to someone who's experienced some of those challenges. Have you worked through this? Oh yeah, let me tell you how we did that. And so this idea of listening to those who've gone before us is important. So we all start out simple. We all start out inexperienced. But we inevitably come to a fork in the road, and that intersection makes us choose between wisdom and folly. So we're all kind of coming along as the simple, and then we come to this fork. We will choose wisdom, or we will choose folly. It's not a one-time decision either. Every day brings us the opportunity to choose wisdom and folly. And every day, as we do, it will confirm us in one direction or the other. Because direction determines destination. If I were to set my eyes on uh, the foyer and head in that direction, I'm not going to end up in the baptistry, right? Direction determines destination. And so uh, we need to recognize that we choose our direction daily. In chapter 9, flip over to chapter 9. Let me just show you something there. In chapter 9, we find wisdom and folly. Uh, It's one of those intersection moments, fork in the road moments. Wisdom and folly are both calling out to the same person. Guess who they're both calling out to? The simple, the inexperienced, that person who is just coming along toward that fork in the road. Look at uh, chapter 9, verse 1. Wisdom has built her house. She has hewn her seven pillars. She has slaughtered her beasts. She has mixed her wine. She has also set her table. Wonderful setting, right? She has sent out her young women to call from the highest places in the town. And who is she calling to? Look at verse 4. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. Wisdom invites the simple to take that fork in the road. But look over at verse 13. The woman folly is loud. She is seductive and knows nothing. She sits at the door of her house. She takes a seat on the highest places of the town, calling out to those who pass by who are going straight on their way. Look at verse 16. Same thing. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. So both are calling to the simple, we choose which response we'll make. So the next person we want to consider is what Solomon calls the wise, the wise man. Look at verse 5, chapter 1. Let the wise hear and increase in learning. First thing the wise do is listen. They don't assume they have all the knowledge they need. They look for godly counsel. They listen to those who are more experienced. And they gain from the experience of those who've gone before them. The wise person knows what he doesn't know. He's willing to listen to others who have more experience. We need to understand in the book of Proverbs that being wise isn't just an intellectual thing. In fact, it's not even mainly an intellectual thing. It is more a practiced thing. Wisdom in Proverbs is something you gain through practice of godliness. Just like getting good at a sport, you get good through practice. Just like getting good at playing an instrument, you get good through practice. And so we get good at wisdom through practice. And that's what spiritual disciplines can do for us. One of those disciplines is saturating ourselves in God's word. Um, When I was in the military, I I was discipled by a navigator and the navigators have a great illustration in terms of getting a grip on God's word. So young people, this is for you, okay? So let's see the, uh, the next slide here. So What's it take to get a good grip on God's word? Okay, young people, hold up up a hand. Hold up a hand. How many fingers do you see? Go ahead, hold up. Okay, and how many fingers does it take to get a good grip on God's word? Can you do it with one? Do I have a good grip on God's word right now? Huh? No, not so much. You do it with two? Not so much, right? You really need all five. And so the navigator showed me this, this great picture of how to uh, get a good grip on God's Word. And first you do it through hearing. In Romans chapter 10, verse 17, the Apostle Paul says, faith comes by hearing, and hearing comes by the Word of God. So we need to get ourselves in a position where we're going to hear the Word of God. Where, where can we do that? What are some places we can hear the Word of God? right here we can do it right here or a christian radio station or a christian podcast or christian videos you can hear god's word that's an important thing to do but it's only one finger A second finger comes when we read it for ourselves the book of revelation chapter 1 verse 3 promises a blessing to us if we'll read this book for ourselves Do you know that people died to be able to give you your Bible in English? And if they did, then it must be important to them. So it's important to us to read it for ourselves. That only gives us two fingers, though. A third finger comes when we study it for ourselves. And uh, in uh, the book of Acts, chapter 17, we read about the Berean Christians who it says were more noble than the others because they studied God's Word to see if what the Apostle Paul was saying is really true. And so we need to study it for ourselves. I hope that you'll study the passage of Scripture I'm preaching from to see if I've just told you something that's true or if I just made something up. Okay, so we study it for ourselves. That's the third finger. We're beginning to get a better grip on it, but someone can still snatch it away, Right? we need to memorize it. We need to memorize it. Uh, Psalm 119 verse 11 says, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. We hide God's word in our heart when we memorize it. And when we've done that, then we can meditate on it. We can wake up in the middle of the night And remember verses that we have memorized, even though the light's not on and we're not reading them at the moment. But we meditate on God's Word. In Psalm 1, verse 2, it tells us that the blessed person is the one who meditates on God's Word day and night. And when we employ all five of those fingers, we have a good grip on God's Word and nobody can take it away. So we need to immerse ourselves in the Word of God. Practice godliness in daily decision-making because God's Word is getting into you. Now, I'm pretty sure I've shared this with you as well before, but I think it bears repeating. What comes to mind when you see the initials WWJD? What's that stand for? What would Jesus do, right? It was very popular a number of years ago. People were wearing wristbands that said WWJD. And it's a good question. What would Jesus do in this situation? But even better to get to the point where we are so immersed in God's word that we begin to do what Jesus would do without even asking the question, what would Jesus do? And so maybe what you could do is use WWJD to stand for Walk with Jesus daily. That's a good use of WWJD as well. Walk with Jesus daily and you'll end up doing the things that Jesus would do. Take captive every thought to Christ. The wise practice the things that cause them to grow in Christ-likeness. Daily, the wise choose their destination Daily, they make decisions that get them further down the road of wisdom. But there's another road at that fork. The voice of folly is calling out as well. And that's where that fork leads. The person who takes that road is the person the Bible calls the fool. And again, it's not that we make a single choice of which road we take, and then we just uh, are on it for good. We choose daily which road we're going to take through countless small decisions. We can choose to play the fool any day of the week. So how does Proverbs define the fool? Proverbs uses three words to define the fool. So it is time for a little Hebrew. Ah, there he is. This is Moses. He's a little Hebrew. So now you know a little Hebrew. Okay, here we go. These three Hebrew words show a progression and we see them in the book of Proverbs. You can go from one to the other. They all show up in chapter 17. So turn over to chapter 17 for just a little bit here as I kind of lay out these three people. The first is the kassil and he shows up in verse 10. Verse 10, a rebuke goes deeper into a man of understanding than a hundred blows into a fool. Into a casil type of fool. This is the most commonly used word for fool in the book of Proverbs. This is sort of your garden variety fool. Uh, The person who has no appetite for gaining wisdom because he thinks he already has it. Doesn't want to listen. um, And so uh, he will not Listen to a rebuke, verse 10. A rebuke is good for someone who is wise, but not for a casile. Uh, this person is self-confident, has lots of opinions, shares them freely, sometimes mistaken, but never in doubt. Um, that's the kassil. Second word that is used for fool is the ewil And we find that in verse 28. Even a fool, and ewil who keeps silent is considered wise. When he closes his lips, he is deemed intelligent. Read between the lines. Keep your mouth shut, right? Don't be so eager to speak. The wheel is not only not interested in gaining wisdom, but he'll argue with you if you try to help him, if you try to give him some godly counsel. And the author here is basically saying if only he would shut his mouth and listen, people would just think he's wise. He's wise. So the Kasil loves to air his opinions. The Ewil will shut you down if you try to offer advice to him. But there's one more, and that is the Nabal. Uh, we find it in verse 7. The Nabal. Fine speech is not becoming to a fool. The Nabal. Uh, the Nabal is one who literally has arrogant lips. In other words, he's a big talker. Big talker. Talks big. Uh, So he is all that the Kasil is, all that the Eweel is, but besides that, he is bombastic. Does that word Nabal look at all familiar? Have you seen that word before? Like in a name, Abigail's husband, in 1 Samuel chapter 25. Abigail tells David he is just like his name, he's a fool. Nabal, we know him as. Um, he was the guy who refused to feed David and his mighty men and almost got himself killed because of it. So that's Nabal, the fool, the big talker. You wonder what his parents were thinking when they named him. Huh? Yeah. This is my son, Knucklehead, you know. <laughs> It occurs to me, though, that maybe he had a regular name and maybe he earned this one. Might well have been his nickname. He earned it himself. But daily, we stand at that fork in the road and we choose the way of wisdom or the way of folly. We do it by the small decisions that we make. We all start out simple. We all start out inexperienced. And if we choose folly, what we're going to do is we're going to progress through those three words and come to a place we never wanted to get to, where our hearts have become hardened and we've grown cynical of the ways of God. It's what the Bible calls the scoffer. The scoffer. If you look at chapter 9, verse 7, you see the scoffer. It says, whoever corrects a scoffer gets himself abuse." Uh, the scoffer is so set in his ways against the ways of God, he'll abuse you if you try to correct him. The scoffer is the master of the put down. He's the one who will tear others down to make himself look good. He's the one who will mock the ways of God. And it's where continuing in the ways of the fool will eventually get a person. So four people that we either are or are becoming the simple, the wise, the fool, or the scoffer. You see yourself in any of those four? I recognize that I am capable of behaving like any one of those four on any given day or in any given situation. Daily, I choose responses that show me to be one of those four things. And the more I choose one... The more I become that person. And the same is true for all of us. How do we regularly choose the way of wisdom? It, it comes down to a basic response to the call of God in our lives. God calls us. How are we responding to His call? He calls us. To salvation. He offers the free gift of salvation to us. Have we responded to that gift? Have have we received that gift for ourselves? Have we recognized what fools we have been that we need the wisdom of God in His plan of salvation? We need to respond to what Jesus did for us in paying for our folly in paying for our sin on the cross. Have you done that? If you haven't done that, you can do it before you leave. I want to encourage you to do that. And I'd be happy to talk with you uh, here this morning about that. And once we've done that, we need to continue to respond to the call of God and bring all things under the Lordship of Christ. It is difficult to separate Jesus as Savior from Jesus as Lord. Uh, I, I, I think you really can't. You may not have opportunity to live long once you have received Him as Savior, but don't think you can separate His Lordship over your life, His claim over your life, from the salvation that He has won for you. He has brought you to Himself to live a life that reflects Him that honors and glorifies Him. Walk with Jesus daily. Take captive every thought to Christ. One last word. Regular input from God's Word is essential. You won't gain wisdom if all you get of God's Word is a half hour on Sunday morning. We need to take God's Word in on a daily basis. One very easy way to do that is to read a chapter a day from the book of Proverbs. So My challenge to you while we're in this series is simply to read a chapter a day from the book of Proverbs. Do it according to the day of the month. So today's the 12th. This morning I read chapter 12. Tomorrow morning I will read chapter 13. When you get done with a month of that, you will have read the whole book of Proverbs. Maybe you'll want to pick up a different translation and try it in a different one next month, but just keep doing it. I've been doing it now for a number of years and just so appreciating the things that I see each time I go through the book of Proverbs. I want to encourage you to do that. What happens over time when we do? We saturate ourselves in God's Word. We come to think like he thinks to desire the things that he desires to stay away from the things that break his heart. And the key is saturation. We won't get there just sitting here in the sanctuary 1 hour every Sunday morning. If we want to be wise, if we want to grow in Christ likeness, if we want to gain control over the circumstances, the situations in our lives, we need to saturate ourselves in the word of God daily. So take me up on the challenge. One chapter a day until we're done with this series in Proverbs. Who knows? It may become a lifelong habit for you as well. Pray with me, will you? Father, thank you for the wisdom that you have given us in your word. Help us to cherish it. Help us to treasure it. Help us to expose ourselves to it through hearing through reading, through studying, through memorizing it, through meditating on it, that we may gain in wisdom, walk with Jesus daily, and bring all things in our lives under his lordship. In his name we pray. Amen.